of this life. And uh, the Bible says very clearly, as, God, as Christ was talking to his disciples, he says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And uh, that's lordship, that God is in charge of your life. And that's a step that needs to be taken as you're seeking God's call, his will for your life, wherever that may be, in this country or overseas. The Bible calls us to discipleship. It says in 2 Timothy 2.22 that we're to follow righteousness and faith and charity and peace. So we know as part of our, uh, our relationship with God as he expects us to grow and reach out and then, of course, to be witnesses, go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples. And uh, that is not a command for a few. That's a command for all of us. So it's not a matter of whether we're going to be missionaries. The question is where. And then we come down to that whole concept of the specific call. And uh, when we think of the specific call, we often think of uh, Paul um, and on the road to Damascus and this blinding light. Don't you wish God would do that to you? I mean, you know, it'd just be so clear. A few years ago, um, when I was at CMDA, I had some people approach me. We were doing a lot of public policy. And a couple of guys that were wealthy in the local community said, can we go out to dinner? I didn't know what I was about. I got back and they said, we, we'd like you to consider running for Congress. We want to get behind you. I said to them, if God called me to Washington, he would literally have to write it on the wall. I mean, and so they say, how you feel about a missionary call? Uh, that's, that was not totally true, but I mean, he would have to make it very evident to me. And, and oftentimes people kind of approach a missionary call in that same way, that it has to be something dramatic. And uh, and you'll hear that not maybe as dramatic as a you know a bright light on a road, but it, it was at a certain service. It was after a certain message. It was a certain song, or I, I read the scripture, or I talked to this person, and I just had this overwhelming sense that God was calling me, and I, I sensed it at that moment in time. And that happens, and I've talked to a lot of people that experience that. For others, it's a much more gradual process. That's how it was for me. Uh, my dad had taken me to the mission field. This was way back in the 1966 where most of my friends had never been on an airplane, much less outside the country. And he took me to Haiti. And that was my freshman year in high school. And I helped on a little compound. I saw this nurse who was having to be a doctor. She was diagnosing and treating and bringing people to Christ. And it was during my last year of high school, just trying to get ready to go to the university. Back in the days when they asked you what you were going to major in when you, you got there. You know, they don't do that much anymore. And I, I was just praying in my last year of high school, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? And it was two or three months that I just had this growing realization that God could use the skills I had in science to meet the needs I had seen in Haiti, and perhaps I could be a missionary doctor. Now, it, it wasn't absolutely firm. It was a growing realization, but I, I took that next step and began to move forward. So God calls us in, in, in different ways, and I think in missions, sometimes that special call is needed. Uh, why? Because uh, that special call is a profound, life-changing experience. It's uh, in certain vocations, and I think missions is one of them, is where you really need to have that sense of God's calling because the way often is not going to be easy. In fact, uh, I often talk about when I'm talking about this, the whole concept of uh, when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea or they crossed the Jordan. God did a wonderful thing. And what did he tell them to do? He said, go get 12 stones and build an altar. Now, why did he do that? Because he knew things were going to get rough. <laughs> it wasn't going to be easy. And he said, you go put that altar up, and when things get tough, you bring your children back here and say, this is where God acted. We know God's power is real. We know he's called us to do that. And I think very much in the same way, we in missions uh, need to have that sense of call uh, for those difficult times. And, and how do you know? In a lot of different ways. Because God continues to confirm it as you move that direction. doesn't mean it will be easy. And, and I think one of the important things as we seek God's call is being on call. All of us know what that means, right? <laughs> the phone could ring and we're not sleeping tonight. Uh, or we're making rounds up in, in the wards or whatever. But we are available. We're willing we're, we're eager to do what God calls us to do. We are on call, wherever that is. And that's something 
that you can prepare in your heart uh, right now and continue in that attitude as you go through life. Some cautions. Don't overemphasize the call. It's important, but don't overemphasize. I have friends who said, well, you know, I just never had a call. Well, bottom line is they never look for it. Uh, and that's easy to do, or they, they just weren't listening. They just weren't eager to know what God wanted to do in their life, and their excuse for not doing what maybe God was even nudging them to do was, uh, I, 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 you know, I never heard the call. Move forward and search. Uh, you know, it's very difficult to steer a parked car. Have you ever tried to steer a parked car? You can, turn, you can hardly turn the wheel. The motor's not on. Uh, power steering because you've got to be moving, especially if you don't have um, if you don't uh, have an automatic transmission. The old transmissions, you, oh, I got to turn that wheel. Well, it's the same in our relationship with God. We need to be moving. We need to be exploring. We need to be coming to conferences like this. We need to be going on short-term mission trips, that type of thing. Looking and saying, God, I'm moving with the knowledge I have. Now guide me and uh, act on the light that you have. Second question you hear is this. Where do I serve? And uh, we have about 800 uh, students and residents uh, in training who've said, yes, God's called me to missions. Now help me get there. And uh, they're part of a program that we started at the Christian Medical Association um, uh, called Your Call. And it's a mentoring program for those that are feeling a tug into missions. But how do you know where go serve? Well, uh, we need to understand that uh, there are about 6 billion people in the world greater than that now. Uh, about 680 million of those are evangelicals. Um, and about 2.1 billion have never heard the gospel. They're unreached. They, they have no uh, knowledge of Christ or the Bible or what it says. Uh, in that, there are about 10,000 people groups. Uh, those are uh, groups of people that have a similar culture and language and identify themselves as belonging to a group that have not heard the gospel. And, of course, most of those are in this 1040 window that you see right there, going across North Africa uh, from 10 degrees south to 40 degrees north in uh, latitude, uh, this huge band of unreached people. And there's some other unreached people around the world, but that's where most of them are. Now, U.S. missionaries actually make up about one out of three missionaries in the world. We often think as, as U.S. is a great sending country, and it is, but increasingly we're seeing missionaries from Korea and from Latin America and uh, from Africa, from one country to another, or in a country to a lost people group. So uh, there's a, a, a lot of missionaries in the world, but interestingly enough, very few of them are working in this area. Only 8% of missionaries work in the 1040 window. Uh, where the greatest need is. Why? Because it's a very difficult area, very difficult to get into and very difficult to be successful, uh, as some people would measure success. In Africa, you tell people about converts per year. In the 1040 window, you talk about years per convert. It's a very difficult area. But it's interesting because as we look at the Bible, what the Bible says to us is when everyone has had an opportunity to have a church planted in their people group, guess what happens? God comes back. <laughs> That's kind of neat. I mean, we're part of that. If you're in missions to try to finish the taking the gospel to these people groups, that doesn't mean that everyone has to be a Christian. It means that everyone has to have an opportunity uh, to hear the gospel. If you look at the finances, only 0.01% of finances uh, are going into that area. And so there's a great focus on this. And one of the things God may call, he called me to Kenya, that's where I spent my career. But I have an increasing burden for this group of people because I think medical personnel, professionals are the key to penetrate this area. Other missionaries have a very difficult time getting in, but medical personnel, those in dentistry and pharmacy and physicians and nurses, have an opportunity to get in many of these areas where others can't get. And I sense that God is raising up a generation to complete the Great Commission. Now, God may call you somewhere else, but I think looking at the needs looking at where people have not heard the gospel. I think this is something that all of us need to at least be praying about and considering and saying, God, uh, are you calling me there? Well, how do you then get to, to that decision? Well, I, I think there's a number of things that help. First of all, you need to explore. 
and, and that's what this conference is all about. I mean, why to go all this work and everybody come here? Because there's 150 exhibitors down there. You can walk in. It's the Walmart of missions, right? Uh, everybody's eager to talk to you. We got a blue light special right over here. You know, if you remember the days when Walmart had blue light specials. But uh, it gives you an opportunity to explore. You should be reading about missions. Uh, I put some pictures of books up here, and there's a lot of good ones you can find in the bookstore uh, that CMDA has, or the other bookstore here, on being a missionary. A great book on uh, what, what does it really mean? What's really take? How do you go down that path? It's written by Tom Hale. Uh, his book, Don't Let the Goats Eat the Loquat Trees. If you want to laugh and enjoy a good read, uh, that's one of them. Ten Fingers for God, the story of Paul Brand. I, I wrote Jesus, M.D., and looking at Christ from a uh, perspective of him being a physician, but it's full of missionary stories and principles for missionaries. But, but keep feeding that. Keep, keep uh, the, the call strong. You put wood on the fire of what God's doing in your life. Uh, by continuing to explore, and, and that may not only include reading, talk to missionaries. One of the things that really helped me on that journey is when I first went to Kenya, I was in college, and uh, went and worked at Tenwick. My dad knew the doctor there. I didn't. And I developed a relationship with Ernie Story, and, and Ernie became my mentor. He was the person that I, back in those days, write before email, but who could give me advice, encourage me, and I went back and worked with him during medical school, during residency, and we developed this mentoring relationship. So talk to missionaries. Try to develop a relationship with someone. They're eager to do that, to, to help you, not to tell you what to do, but to pray with you, give you ideas, to network you, let you know about opportunities. And that doesn't mean you may serve with their mission, but you have someone that's helping you down this path uh, that you're treading. Uh, attend mission conferences and, of course, correspond with agencies, start to get to know some of the groups, get into a relationship. Uh, I, back when I got back after uh, medical school, when I went over, I'm sorry, after I got back after college, in my fourth year of college, I knew God had called me to Kenya, and I went ahead and applied and was accepted a missions agency before I went to med school. Now, it was kind of a delayed uh, engagement because it was seven more years before we finally got to the field, eight more years uh, before we finished training. But I was already in a relationship with the group because I had sensed God had called me here. And if you get to that point or you're still searching, get in contact with agencies. They're eager to help and assist you. Look at your skills, needs, and interests. Um, you know, and we're going to talk a little bit about specialties and different areas of work and how you make some of those decisions. But oftentimes your skills, your needs, your interests uh, may help give you a guide and narrow down where you should serve. If you walk up to me and say, Dave, I have this great passion for neurosurgery. Well, there's a lot of places in missions you're probably not going to go. But I can tell you where the first neurosurgeon in Uganda works. <laughs> And he'd love to have you come work with him. They do most of the neurosurgery for a third of Uganda when, when he was there. He's back in the States now. Uh, or you may have some other specialty. Because of your interest, it may narrow it down to a number of choices that are quite few. Or you may have a lot of choices, depending on what you're – maybe you're a pioneer spirit and you just want to go out there where nobody's ever gone. Or perhaps, no, I want to go to a place where there's work really already happening and I can fit into it and complement it. All these things help guide you as you get to the point of uh, seeking where God wants. And then pray and ask others to pray and be adaptable because God may change things even after you think you know what you're doing. Uh, Dave Thompson, if you heard Dave last year and have heard his story, he's a wonderful missionary surgeon in Gabon. And his parents were missionaries in Cambodia, Southeast Asia area. So was his wife. They spoke the language. They were going back. And that was the plan. They went through deputation. They're all ready to go almost the day they were left. And the war broke out in Cambodia and the killing fields. And he spent all his career in Africa and had a tremendous impact there. But he thought, well, obviously it would be this area because of my skills, my knowledge, my relationships, my language skills. And God took him somewhere else. How do you choose a mission organization? This family that you're going to join, and, and missionary organizations very much are families. Well, let's talk about things to consider as you walk through that. Uh, first of all, you want to think about their theology. Now, some missions are very have a, a very uh, ecumenical theology. If you're an evangelical, you'd be going with them. 
uh, and, that, and that's no problem. Other mission organizations may be more denominational. You want to look at their theological position of where they go. They may be Calvinistic. They may be Wesleyan. They may be whatever. And, and you feel more comfortable or they'd feel more comfortable with you if you had the same theological position. That's one thing to consider. It's focus. What part of the world does it work in? If you feel God calling you to the 1040 window, you're going to need to look at organizations that have work in the 1040 window. And not all do. And so you need to look at where their focus is of what your interest may be. It's strategy. What type of outreaches does it have? It may be planting, church planning, or training, or uh, radio, or all sorts of things. Do they have medical outreach? Do they want to start medical outreach, or dental outreach, or community-based health care, or whatever the passion is that God has given you? And, or do they already have it there? How evangelistic is it? Does it correspond with your uh, thrust in evangelism? I know when I was heading up World Medical Mission, I was visiting mission hospitals. I went to some hospitals and said, well, tell me about your evangelism outreach at your hospital. Oh, we have a, we have a pastor that comes in two half days a week. Well, I'd either be going there to try to, to move that forward <laughs> or I'd be looking at another hospital. If that's important to you, that might be the, the, the same thing. If I'm going, It's not just medicine. I need to bring people to Christ. And so you want to see how evangelistic it is. It's experience. doesn't know what it's doing. Uh, there's new mission groups, and uh, God may call you to, to join one of those, but uh, they may not have a lot of experience, and you're going to be uh, really, um, you know, forging a new path if you go with them. Uh, you can have older mission organizations that are old and stodgy, or you can have older mission organizations that are still cutting edge and out there making a real difference. But you want to understand what their experience is and how well they accomplish what they say they're out to do. Different mission organizations have different types of support bases. We have what we call faith missions, and we have the more denominational missions. If you go with the Southern Baptist, they'll have you out speaking in churches, but they have a common fund, and they will pay you a salary, and you don't have the responsibility to raise funds. Uh, for other mission organizations, I went one that was faith-based, and we raised our own funds before we went. We'll talk more about that in just a few moments. It's success. Are people coming to Christ? Is their work well managed? Is it making a difference? Are people being discipled? Do they have good leadership? Uh, those type of things. Is indigenization taking place? Are nationals coming in and being trained and taking positions of, of responsibility? So how successful is it in accomplishing uh, what's important? It's management. Some mission organizations are more of a top-down approach. Some are more bottom-up approach. The mission organization I went with, very decentralized. And so we could pick our goals on the field. Yes, they were approved, but we had a lot of control over raising funds, making these things happen. I like that because I was very entrepreneurial and I was starting new things and I could do that relatively easy. If it was a good idea to be approved, I'd go raise the money for it and get it to happen. Uh, for others, you may say, no, no, I, I, you know, I, I want something where there's a master plan and I'll be part of it. Uh, it's management style. Uh, and then it's culture. And every mission organization has a culture. Um, just like uh, there's different cultures among different people groups in this world, there are different uh, cultures among mission organizations. And that's a very intangible thing, but the best way to experience it is go spend some time on the field uh, with some of their missionaries, and you'll very quickly understand their culture and, uh, and how they work. We had a, a mission organization that had a very close family culture, and uh, I really, really like that. Um, and then experience it, as I've said. Go experience what's going on. See that handsome guy over there on the right? Was that a nice afro or what? <laughs> Actually, that's pretty short. I had it longer than that at times, but I was cool back in the 80s. Um, what training should I get? And uh, that's, that's a big question, and, and it's different. I know there's nurses, there's physicians, or whatever thing, whatever it is. Let me speak to each of those, and if I miss you, I apologize. Uh, uh, for physicians, you know, we hear a lot about primary care uh, in, in the sense of, uh, you know, family practice, surgery, internal medicine, OBGYN, pediatrics. And if you look across the board, that's probably where the most need is. But it depends a lot where you're going to serve. And, and what I mean by that, yeah, I went into family practice, but I love surgery. 
in fact, did a lot of surgery on the field. And my big debate was between surgery and family practice. But I knew I was going to a hospital where there already was a surgeon, and I was going to have to do everything. I was going to have to do OB. I was going to have to do pediatrics. I was the third doctor. I, I was going to. I, I did OB because I knew I was going to have lots of. I learned how to do C sections, get in and out of people's bellies, and then went there and learned a lot of surgery after I got there. Uh, if I had been going to a Pioneer Hospital is the only doctor or hospital where there was not a surgeon, I would have done surgery. Uh, but increasingly, we're seeing more and more specialization in mission hospitals, especially the larger ones. And so they may have an orthopedist. They may have a urologist. They'll have an ophthalmologist. So the bottom line is, on the physician side, find out what your passion is, what fits you, what God has made you to do. And uh, if God's calling you to the mission field and is giving you that passion, he's got a place for you to use it. And uh, you go into the Middle East. In some countries, I had a friend who's an ophthalmologist who's a retinal specialist. You think, where in the world would he go? Well, he actually went and worked for the Saudi Arabian government in a big hospital and taught. And one of the, you know, difficult country to get into, and he went in and actually taught in the university as a kind of undercover missionary in that country. So God can use whatever. Uh, select a residency. Uh, you want good teaching, good experience, and learn how to really take care of sick people. Uh, because you're, you know, when you get over in most mission situations, there's not a lot of people to refer to <laughs> if you're a physician. And so you want as wide experience as possible. Uh, when I was going into family practice, I went into a, a residency where I, they, you know, we were the only ones in the hospital. We were taking care of the burn unit. We were taking care of the ICU, the PICU. We did it. We put all the catheters in. We, I picked that residency because I wanted as broad and deep experiences as I could get because I knew where I was heading. And uh, I think that's important. Uh, And for nurses, in many countries, uh, uh, especially if they're former British colonies, uh, it's difficult for nurses. When we brought nurses into Kenya, they had to go do orientation, they called it, with the government. Why? Because the two systems were very different, and they had to spend some time because they did a lot more midwifery. They did a lot more uh, public health than we do in our, our normal uh, teaching here. In some countries, it's that way. Some countries, it's not. Uh, but nurses tend to get need to get a broad experience. Our nurses diagnosed, treated, did OB. A lot of that we taught them after they got there, and that, and, and, but a lot of them went back and got other degrees. They come from the field for a number of years, learned what they needed, came back and picked up a degree on furlough. And uh, a lot of times teaching is a great option for nurses because there's such a great need in other countries, and having some extra training to teach and function well is very helpful. Get your nursing degree. My advice would be uh, get a little bit of experience here in the U.S., then get overseas, get into the mission situation, see what's really needed, come back and get any other training that may be helpful to you, whether that's a nurse practitioner or a midwife uh, or an MPH. Uh, physician assistants in some countries, it's, it's a wonderful uh, uh, area of training. Some countries, especially British countries, it's difficult to get PAs into the country. And so if you have some interest it may, in that area or your trainings in that area, it may delegate which countries you can go to. Uh, just need to be aware of that. doesn't mean there's not a place for you in missions. It may just be some places it's more difficult to get into those countries. Great need. You know what? There's a lot fewer dentists on the field than there are uh, any other uh, specialty I know in medicine, and there's a huge need for them. I know when we were in Kenya, we were looking for dentists, and uh, I built uh, dental uh, 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 area in our hospital, and I was there 11 years, and we never could get a dentist to come, either national or uh, uh, missionary. So great need for dentists, great need for pharmacists and public health and all sorts of things. So Remember, people say, well, you know, how do I get adequately prepared? I got news for you. I'm, I'm sorry to have to tell you this. You will not be adequately prepared no matter how much training you have. You can, you can go to residency, you can go to nursing school and get every specialty there is. You still will not be adequately prepared because it's just so different than our training here. What you want to learn is the basics and how to be a good student because much of what you're going to need, you're going to learn after you get there. And uh, that's just the way it works. It's a wonderful 
dependency on God time in your life as, as you go. Uh, I remember I went over as a medical student, and um, they took me up to the hospital, and they took me through the medical ward. We were doing rounds, and, and uh, the women in the men's medical ward, and we finished. And Dr. Sturry turned to me and said, now, Dave, these are your two wards for the next eight weeks. And, uh, you know, I, I'm glad we had a chance to do rounds together. You call me if you have any problems. And, you know, half the patients should have been in an ICU and I, you know, I, and, and all these, you know, and the library's up the hill and, uh, man, I plunged in, you know, and I was running up getting books and asking questions and the first week is just panic. I'm going to kill somebody. And, uh, but the bottom line was there was no one else there to take care of that. He, there was two doctors in that hospital besides me that summer and they had 135 beds, 200% occupancy. And the fact that I was actually going to see those patients every day was huge. And, uh, the benefit of that was when I came back for residency, my goodness, everybody was just in a panic. You know, I'm up, I've got, you know, I've got four or five on the ward and I've got two in the unit. And I'm thinking, golly, you know, this is nothing compared to what I had to deal with. And you had done all these procedures and gotten all this experience and gotten confidence in making decisions. And, you know, by the time, in fact, when, when students came to, uh, to Tenwick, we would say they had to stay eight weeks. The reason was because, you, you know, you're terrified, then you're scared, and then you're just a little apprehensive. And about the fourth week, you're really starting to have fun and be useful. And that's not the time to head home. Uh, because that's really when you're going to begin making even a bigger difference. And so uh, that type of experience during training is not only good for keeping the fires of missions burning, but tremendous for you medically because it helps you as you move ahead. What about raising support? Um, there, there's some real benefits to raising support, and, and I'll tell you what they are. It's an opportunity to minister. I remember my dad. My dad was an evangelist, very involved in missions as well. And he said to me something I've never forgotten. He said, David, you'll have as much impact in the United States as you'll have overseas. I didn't really realize that, but it's true. That deputation was a wonderful opportunity to go into churches and challenge people to missions. And God uses you to minister through to them. And uh, that's a wonderful benefit. Uh, you can have as much impact in the spiritual formation and growth of people's lives in this country because of what you're doing as you can overseas. Uh, secondly, the most important thing about deputation uh, and getting out in the churches and stuff is getting people to pray for you. When you're up to your elbows, usually that are uh, physicians, in somebody's abdomen in the middle of the night seeing something you never treated before and you need some instrument you don't have, all... all the money in the world ain't going to make any difference. It's people are praying for you, and uh, you need prayer. And uh, that's one of the benefits of being out and, uh, and speaking, whether you're raising funds or whatever. Uh, and people need to know what missions is like, and secondly, they need to pray for you. It's interesting. We did our first deputation in 1980. I have people now, it's almost been 30 years, that still pray for me every day from that year. I was up in a church in Michigan last year where people are still sending support through CMDA for our ministry and uh, wonderful relationships. It takes time. That's a barrier. Uh, it may scare you to death. Um, you lack knowledge. I'm not a public speaker, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's, it's a good walk of faith for you. Uh, God doesn't use the eloquent. Remember, he used Moses. He was scared to death, and Aaron had to speak for him. Um, God will use you to minister. You don't have to be a great preacher or whatever to have a, a tremendous effect. Your support team we've talked about, and, uh, and then uh, techniques. It may be conferencing. Their techniques are changing in fundraising. used to be a lot of mission conferences. Now it's a lot of personal visits. Let's get together and have a cup of coffee. Let's invite some people into the home, talk about what's going on. It's personal contacts. It's, uh, and, and if you want to know more about fundraising and stuff, we actually have new missionary orientation at CMDA, and we'd be happy to, happy to help you learn how to do it well. What about my spouse? Shouldn't I wait for a spouse? I hear that one often, not just from women, from men as well. Uh, and, you know, the Bible talks about this. He's, if you go over to Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, what Christ is talking about is not hating your family. We know that from other parts of the Bible. But what he's saying in relationship to your love to me, 
your love to me should be so great, it would be as if you hate your family if you look at it in comparison, the thing that you actually love the most. And uh, singleness often leads to a very devoted life in missions, extra time for ministry. Uh, Iva Scudder, one of the great missionary doctors uh, to India, really struggled with this whole area of whether she was going to be married. It's well worth to read some of her books if, if you're struggling in that area. And she talks about the uniqueness of singleness and how God used it. And she would have loved to have been married in, 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 throughout her career. Uh, but uh, she realized that her greatest loyalty was to Christ. Uh, it's a very important decision, not only whether you are married, but who you marry. The most common reason that those called to missions don't end up on the field after not listening to God is that they marry someone who doesn't have the same commitment. Can we say it again? <laughs> Maybe you don't want to hear it again. It is the most common reason. I had a good friend in residency, uh, took him to Kenya with me during residency. He, he was just, he had the personality, the skills, charismatic guy, passion for the gospel, wonderful doctor. And I remember one night we were talking about it. He said, you know, I feel God's really calling to mission, but I've got to find my wife before I go. And he found her, and she wouldn't go. And uh, he's still practicing in the U.S. Uh, find you know, as you look for what God's got, that person for you, if God has called you, he has somebody who's also been called that's looking for you. And uh, don't be satisfied till you find that person. You know the best place to find someone called to missions? It's on the mission field. In fact, I kept losing missionaries because they get married. I had uh, my, uh, my secretary get married. She went to Ecuador off with some guy when I was in Kenya. And, uh, you know, yeah. I still haven't forgiven her. Um, but, you know, it's it's a wonderful place. Go around, you know, I, I've, I've laughed. I've said to the organizers of the conference, I said, we need to start M Harmony, Mission Harmony here at the conference, you know. And I'm interested in Kenya. How about you? And, uh, you know, that type of thing. So uh, we'll have that kind of focus groups. Okay. Um, let's move on. What about raising a family? That's the other big questions we hear. You know, what about taking my kids overseas? This was actually a, a huge battle uh, for my wife and I. Uh, when we went to Kenya, the typical thing was in second grade, your kids went off to boarding school. We couldn't imagine sending our seven-year-old off to boarding school. And uh, we struggled with that. We really did. And finally, God turned to me one day in my devotions, and it was just almost like a voice. He said, David, do you think I can take care of everything but your children? You know, and it was true. I had put everything on the altar but my kids. You know, I hadn't got to where Abraham got with Isaac. And that doesn't mean I sacrificed my children, but I put my trust realizing that God would give us guidance in helping us raise our children overseas. And we ended up uh, homeschooling. Then we had a one-room schoolhouse. Our kids went to boarding school in fifth and sixth grade. You know what the biggest struggle was when we came back to the United States? And God was calling me back and I didn't want to come. i got to take my kids back to the States. I don't want to take them back there. This has been such a wonderful experience for them. And there's nothing as good as what we have here. And I had to go through that same struggle again. Let's talk about raising families overseas. One of the great advantages is you'll have more time together. How many doctors, nurses, and others that are working full-time in this country have breakfast, lunch, and supper with their children every day? That's what I did when my kids were young. Unless there was an emergency, 1 o'clock, we came down and had lunch. That was a big meal of the day. Uh, we had more time together. If I was late at the hospital, Jody was sending the kids up, and Jason was peeking in through the door saying, Dad, Mom wants to know when you're coming. What are you doing in there? Can I watch? And uh, put on your mask and get on the stool and stay over by the, you know. So there was this, they were involved in what we were doing. As the kids got older in the mission field, kids would actually help in surgery, pass instruments uh, to their parent. So you have more time together. Uh, you have the lack of negative influences. People used to say to me, how can you take people, take your kids over to that jungle? Well, we didn't live in the jungle, but... After a while, you know, you think about what they're going to see at the movie theater, what they're going to watch on TV, who's going to offer them drugs, what's going to happen in the school, is it safe, we can't let them walk down the street, somebody's going to kidnap them. Who lives in the jungle? <laughs> Not me. I could let my kid 10 miles out from Tenwick. Somebody would have brought him home. Nobody would have hurt him. 
you know, and so this idea that we kind of build, we've got to put this fear around our kids. Mission Field is a wonderful place to raise children. And uh, part of it is it's a lot easier being a parent. A lot of the things we struggle with, it's difficult to raise a child in this country. It was extremely easy for us where we were. Common challenges. Uh, You know, they say the best way to bind a family together is to go camping with them. Well, missionary life is one long camping trip. Uh, You're always facing a common challenge. And, uh, and that's wonderful because it may be, you know, we're just going to Nairobi, so we've got to take two extra spares and the, the uh, patching kit and the tool kit and the tow rope and the shovel because the car gets stuck. We've got to get ourselves out. You've got these common challenges that you face as a family which bind you together, which is wonderful. You see enhanced maturity among their kids because they're dealing with adults. They're seeing suffering. Uh, they're having to make decisions. They're dealing with a wide variety of cultures. And missionary kids tend to become much more mature quicker than kids in this country. Uh, there's great resources now for raising missionary kids. We're going to talk some the negative influences as well. But there are great resources to help you raise your kids overseas, uh, conferences, suggestions, and things that uh, make it even better. There's rich experiences, travel, culture, uh, is you're going back and forth. And these kids have a, a huge worldview because of what they experience, and that gives them a wonderful breadth of perspective. Uh, they tend to be higher achievers. You know the highest achievers of any group of kids in the world is missionary kids. Second is children of diplomatic corps. So uh, you think, oh, those poor kids, their parents are missionaries. Well, they tend to be the highest achievers as a group as kids. What are the negative disadvantages? Frequent transitions. Uh, you're always changing. Uh, we built a house a couple years ago, moved into it. That was our 22nd move for our family. Um, and, and so there's a lot of transitions, painful ends, endings, anxious beginnings. Uh, life is not settled. Uh, there's a sense of identity issue that some missionary kids have. Am I American? Am I Kenyan? Or am I Gabonian? Or what am I? Uh, depending on where they've lived, and, and that's an issue that have to, has to be dealt with. Uh, commitment, sometimes a, a difficult making commitments because they've had so much change in their life, and it's a thing you have to be aware of. Is you know They have trouble committing to a local church because they've, they've never had one for a long period of time, especially in the U.S., a sense of rootlessness, where's home, where in the world do I belong is an issue you have to deal with. Uh, restlessness, you know, my kids, half passport, will travel. You don't have to ask them twice. Dad, you're going to Afghanistan. Can I go with you? <laughs> I'd love to go. I've never been there. They're, they're, they're not afraid to do anything, missionary kids, uh, you know, to get out there, to mix with other cultures and that type of thing. And then separations. Uh, one of the, the challenges missionary kids' life is there are those separations. At a time you get where their education, they may be away from home. And um, overall, you have to look at each child when it comes to education, what their needs are, meet their needs, but there are a lot of different opportunities and ways to go about it. Can you have a spiritual ministry? The medicine is going to overwhelm me. It can. It can. And it's one of the devil's favorite tricks uh, is just to work you to death, get you very committed, get you out there, and then work you to death. Um, But one of the things that will bring satisfaction to you on the field is being able to have spiritual ministry. And uh, you must prepare. It's not going to happen by chance. uh, And it's not something you should just leave to others. You need it as much as the people need it that you're going to be involved in doing it with. And you you need to prioritize it uh, when you get there. Um, I don't have time for a long story, but, you know, I got to Tinwick and, you know, out of my residency, going to save the world and all these skills and third doctor and, you know, huge patient population. And one of my jobs at the end of the day was to go up and clean up outpatients at the end of the day. We had national staff solve the regular routine things, but then they'd set people on a bench that needed to see the doctor, and, and Dr. Sturry was doing surgery, and Dick Morris was in pediatrics where he, he lived most of his life because of the needs there. So I'd get rounds done, do a bunch of stuff, and I'd get up there maybe 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon to see outpatients, and, you know, there'd be 30, 40, 50 of them there, and I couldn't go home till they all be seen. So I just got to get more efficient, got to get them in line, get the lab work on there, bang, 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 we're going to get them seen, get them home. They got a long ways to go. Well, the real reason was I wanted to get home for supper. And so I got very efficient, and one day I saw this man come in, and he had a, a, 
an obvious problem. It wasn't going to be hard to diagnose. He had a big retropharyngeal carcinoma ulcerating out of the side of his face. You know what my first thought was, compassionate missionary doctor that I was? Good, this will be easy. I can get on to the next one. And God just shook me and said, David, why did I bring you halfway around the world? You know, I was two or three months into my career and on the field and just pulled me up by my collar. And in the midst of the clinic, I, I, I said, uh, after I explained the disease, I said, Araptoid, what's going to happen to you when you die? And he looked at me and said, my, my son will, will bury me on our plot. That's our way. And I said, no, 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 what's not going to happen to your body? What's going to happen to your soul? I don't know. I said, have you ever heard the gospel? You don't know the story of Jesus? He came from a remote area. I said, let me share you how, with you how you can go live forever in heaven with God. And in the midst of the busy clinic, people running around everything, I don't know, three or four minutes and probably not very well, explained the plan of salvation to him. And then just turned to him and said, uh, would you like to accept Christ right now? I'll never forget what he did. He looked me straight in the eye, a very dignified elderly man. He said, of course. <laughs> And smiled. He said, of course. And we got down on our knees there in the examined cubicle between the curtains. And I prayed with him, led him to Christ, called the chaplain. And he changed how I practice medicine in Africa. Someday I'll see him in heaven. And uh, all of a sudden I begin to pay attention. Because let me tell you something. I don't care how good you are as a surgeon, a nurse, a pharmacist, whatever your skill is. Sooner or later, every patient you're ever going to see is going to die. We're in a losing business. Hate to tell you that. We can't make people live forever. And uh, only as we introduce them to Christ can we give them eternal life. Now, that does that mean you go through the hospital and spend the whole day witnessing? No, you can't do that. People have physical needs. But that is on the front burner of your mind as you're talking to this patient. Has this patient been seen by a chaplain? Is there some word that I can deal with them? Can I witness to them or have someone else come to witness to them? Are there chapel services taking place? I'm not going to see patients during chapel so people will go and hear the gospel. It becomes a priority. You not only facilitate, but you participate. That requires you prioritizing, realizing you can't do it all. You have to put a team around you, train staff and others, uh, and, uh, but understanding your responsibility and that you have a very complementary role to making sure spiritual ministry happens. That's where you're going to find your satisfaction. I go out and speak on weekends at times in churches. I would be a speaker in conferences. I did witnessing, speak in chapel. You have to have that outreach or the medicine will get dry and, uh, and really something that's not very enjoyable. How do you avoid burnout? Big issue on the field. Unlimited needs, limited resources, and it's easy to burn out. And there's some ways to avoid this. Remember, it's the devil's favorite tool. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. I, I could tell you stories, and we don't have time for that. But it's easy to just think, well, you know, I just work harder and push harder. That's how we're trained in this country. And we got to meet every need. And, well, the trouble there is there's more needs than you can meet. So you have to learn how to prioritize what is reasonable. How do you get into a pace that you can sustain? Uh, how do you take care of yourself? Not selfishness, but self-care. Uh, and, and realizing that uh, you, you really have to have some integrity and balance. Sometimes that's getting an accountability agent, somebody who can turn to you and say, you need to slow down. You're doing too much. You're starting to look toasty. I'm smelling burnt toast, and it's coming from you. So you, you need, it may be your spouse, it may be somebody else on the team, but we have a tendency, the way we got to where we are was wow. We work harder than everyone else. Everybody else went to the ball game. You were in the library in college, right? Uh, or you are in the library uh, because you're willing to commit to get this done and, and, and become what you want to become. And uh, that's good, but taken to the extreme, that strength becomes a weakness in your life. So having some accountability. Learning to delegate, to train others, to bring up other people, to recruit, get a help, more help where you are. And, uh, and, and be involved in the area of training is, is so important. And you have to keep at it. I'm a, I, you know, it's, uh, you know, you go to uh, uh, your alcohol problem or your drug problem, and I, I'm an alcoholic, 
you know, I'm always an alcoholic even though I'm a recovering alcoholic. Well, I'm a workaholic, and I'm recovering workaholic, and I'm on the wagon right now. And it'll be true for many of you. Uh, there are times in my life when you just have to say, whoa, here I go again. I, I, I thought I knew this lesson. I need to pull back and reassess where we are. What about educational debt? Uh, number way to help with educational debt is avoid expenses. And uh, some of the things in as far as how you, uh, you know, your tuition, you can't avoid that, but uh, your living expenses and things. Live simple. Um, and it's important. Uh, you know, your friends get out and you get into med school or nursing school or whatever, they're going to loan you money. And uh, you say, no, we're, gonna, we're going to rent. We're not going to put all this money into this area. Live simply. You're going to be, as a missionary, you might as well learn to do it now. Get help. There's organizations out there that will help. Um, and it can come from all sorts of sources. The Pennsylvania Medical Mission Society helped me. They still exist, and they, they give scholarships for those going into missions, kind of a loan scholarship. If you go serve so many years on the field, it's written off. Sturry scholarships, $100,000 scholarship that CMDA gives every year to someone going into medical missions, a medical student, and it's very much a, a loan scholarship type thing, depending on how much time you spend on the field. I remember I got money from the denomination I was in. They gave me a scholarship. I mean, look and search for these things, trying to keep the cost low. But you will. Most people this day and time come out, unless you've got a rich mommy and daddy, uh, with debt. And Operation MedSyn is a wonderful organization um, that pays back your debt while you're on, your fi on the field. And um, it's well worth looking into. Their debt should not be a reason that you don't go to the field. One of the deadliest things is to say, I'm going to get out and pay off all my debt and then go. Most people that do say that never get there. And it's very important because you get into a practice, you get buying a house, you buy a car, you start having kids, and all of a sudden that dream, that vision begins to wane. What will be your biggest challenges? Um, growing spiritually is one of them. Uh, it can be a dry place on the mission field. What do I mean by that? Well, you're with all these other missionaries, that's true, but your church may be a local church. Your pastor may not have a lot of training. You've got a very busy schedule, and if you ever need to be disciplined in your own spiritual walk and growth, it's uh, when you're overseas. And we did things, not only Bible studies in our home and our own personal quiet time, but getting tapes from our home church, books that we would read, and other things to keep growing spiritually as we served. Another big issue is being adaptable. It's probably one of the most important characteristics for a missionary because life changes all the time. And no day is predictable. And uh, learning to be adaptable is a very important uh, characteristic. What's going to be your biggest challenge? I remember my brother-in-law, who'd been a missionary in South America, said, David, the greatest blessing in your life will be other missionaries and the greatest challenges in your life will be other missionaries. In most mission situations, in many of them, you do not get to pick your friends. You do now, but over there you don't. The mission picked your friends, right? It's the people assigned to where you're working. And you're very interdependent with them. And they're wonderful people, and they're my dearest friends, but you're so interdependent. Work together, worship together, vacation together. When, you, when they leave, you're doing their work. And so that creates an opportunity for more tensions, more problems, more personal conflicts. And so learning how to function effectively as a group is something you really need to focus on. And be you being the oil in the gears, uh, not the sand in the gears as you deal with others. Separation from family, that's really the greatest sacrifice being away from loved ones at Christmas and Thanksgiving. I remember when we were leaving, my, my dad uh, over at Lexington, we were flying out. I'm from here in Kentucky. He said, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. We had a little three-year-old and one-year-old, and he had a great heart for missions. And then he looked at me, and he said, you know, though, Dave, I know this. We may be separate now, but we're going to have eternity in heaven together. And, yes, it's difficult to be away from family. But the other side of the coin is if God has called you, he will provide the way. And he will give you an extended family like you've never experienced in your life among your missionary colleagues. And still to this day, my kids call all the other missionaries they grew up with uncle and aunt. And in many ways, we're more uncle and aunt to them than their regular ones and still involved in their lives. When my daughter got married recently, she wanted her uncles and aunts not only from our family, but from our extended missionary family to be there because they were very important people in her life. So God separates, I mean, deals with that separation and gives compensation. Burnout we've talked about. And you need to realize also that medicine is just part of the equation. I hate to tell you this. 
you know, you're going to go out very well trained in whatever your specialty, your calling is. You're going to get over to the mission field and find out that's about 25% of your success. The fact I could do a great C-section and diagnose malaria when you got into a hospital situation, you realize there was management, administration, fundraising, program development, all sorts of things. And so there's a lot more to the equation. I got good news for you, though. It is so much fun because the little bit that you do, even if you're ignorant, makes such a difference in people's lives. And uh, that's one of the joys of missionary medicine as far as I'm concerned. You get to be the renaissance person. You're doing all sorts of things, and it's making a huge difference in people's lives. What are the keys to success? Keep Christ as Lord on the throne. If you do that, he'll lead you each step of the way. Seek wisdom. Pick your goals wisely. Depend on God. Ask him for wisdom, and he'll give to you as you take each step of the way. Be bold. Go where others may not be willing to go. Do what others may not be willing to do. Uh, God honors that holy boldness that doesn't come from us, but the Bible says with God nothing is impossible. So it's not a matter of us you know, pulling ourselves up by our boots, but it's a matter of realizing God's with us. Therefore, we can be bold. Pursue excellence. It's one of my uh, pet things. You know, you're going to be a missionary, but one of the things I love to see missionaries do is just pursuing excellence. I used to tell my staff we're going to be the best mission hospital in Africa, and we worked to that end because that's what these people we serve deserved, to be the best we could be, excellent in everything that we did. Uh, be disciplined and uh, work like it all depends on you and trust like it all depends on God. Uh, is kind of one of the phrases that, that, you know, I'm going to put my effort in and then rest and realize God can make it happen when there's challenges so much bigger than myself. Uh, Keep your priorities uh, straight, and we've talked about that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, these health needs that need to be met, these training needs that be met, all those things will be added unto you. And then remember relationships Don't get so busy doing things that you don't have good relationships with nationals and other missionaries. My dad used to say to me something that's always stuck with me. He said, the only thing you'll take to heaven, David, is other people. And uh, minister into people's lives. That has been one of the themes that I've tried to make uh, in my life, that I'll never be too busy to deal with you and you and you and you uh, because i got big things to do. No, the big things to do are people. Questions? We've got a few minutes, about five. That was a lot. Questions? Stick up your hand and I'll... Yes? What do you think are some of the, the challenges and opportunities that we face now, um, kind of 20, 25 years down the road, given like new technology, kind of a more of a larger global economy, easier transportation? Yeah. What things are there different for us and culturally and... Emissions is changing tremendously because the society, as you say, is getting so mobile and, you know, a lot of new techniques. One of the things that's really going to carry the Gospels is technology. I mean, they're putting in a satellite uh, TV system over Africa and radio, and and so you'll be able to beam in 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 small cultural groups uh, and, and give them the Gospel in their own language easier than ever before and get through the barriers of getting into countries and that type of thing. Uh, medicine, uh, you know, used to people got on a boat to China and came back 10 years later. Now people routinely run back and forth. I mean, missionary speakers of this conference came home for a couple of weeks to, to do this, and the expense is not that great to do that. So it's a much more mobile culture. We face challenges in security. I mean, people it's not like people didn't have them before, uh, but uh, especially in Muslim countries, it, it's some dangerous places to work. And uh, with the jihadism and things that are going on. And yet uh, the answer to that is the gospel. And I think, you know, where uh, 150 years ago when pioneer missionaries went out, uh, many of them came back because they died of malaria or were were killed uh, in Africa and other places. Now missionaries aren't going to come back because they're killed uh, by radicals. And uh, I think we need to understand that that may be the sacrifice that God demands of us. and so, yeah, we're, we're facing uh, the world is much smaller. Uh, I think we've got we have the other issue of a lot of anti-Americanism out there, especially in Muslim countries. 
and uh, you come in as American, God's raising up a generation of people from other countries that are Korean and uh, Latin America and others that are going into these countries as well. That doesn't mean you can't do it. I'm just saying there's challenges to doing it. So, yeah, there's new challenges. Missions is changing, uh, new strategies, uh, team type of movements that are more, much more common now. Instead of this single missionary goes into this area, let's put a team together to go in. Uh, uh, you know, Bible translation has got so easy now with computer technology that they're saying we're going to have the Bible in every language by 2025. So, I mean, there's just a lot of things happening on the technological front that uh, it, it make it easier and some things that make it harder. Other questions? Yes? Boy, that's a good question. Um, it, it would depend a little bit on where you're going. You know, you're going to spend a lot of time as a pharmacist. The question was, what about a pharmacist and a resident? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know enough about pharmacy residencies to say one way or another. Uh, what I would go do is get some experience on the field, go over, do a rotation, spend some time in a hospital, and see what you think may be helpful. Uh, most of the pharmacy work overseas is not very high tech. I've got a, a lady I just met recently who's a nuclear pharmacist working in the Congo. Guess what? She's not doing much nuclear pharmacy. Uh, and, and she's a very good pharmacist in other areas, but it's just so different there. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I think we should be well-educated, but I don't think we should pursue it so far that it's getting into areas where it may not be useful if we already know where God is calling us and what he wants us to do. So I hope I help answer a little bit. Yes? Um, can you talk on or advice on relationship with your spouse? Yeah. When I can let you stand up and do that. You probably <laughs> may have had some experience. Yeah, it, it's... Uh, it's very important on the field to, to keep that spousal relationship strong, and you can get married to the work if you're not careful. And uh, one of the things that I learned the hard way was when you're in it, we were in a fairly you know, remote situation, so it wasn't like, honey, let's go out to eat tonight. There wasn't any place to eat. It was home. Uh, and we did some things to compensate for that. Uh, as I got smarter as a missionary, uh, and, and we had a few more staff, I had Saturdays off. We had different days of the week we were off. So on Saturday, uh, Jody and I got up, uh, took care of the kids, threw them out the door, and we had time together. You know what we did? We played Scrabble. Now, it wasn't because we were both Scrabble lovers, because the way we played Scrabble took two or three hours. We sat at a table and talked for two or three hours. And, and that was good for our, our marriage, and we built that in. When we had special uh, anniversaries, for example, we had some wonderful single nurses, and they had a ministry on the compound, and that was on anniversaries, they brought you a special meal. So we'd had candlelight and a tablecloth. It's like we'd gone to fine restaurant. They came in and waited on us. You know, we couldn't go out to eat and do things, but we, and we did things special for them on their birthdays and things. So you, 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 you did things when you, you can't leave, you've got to think of ways to leave mentally. You know what I'm talking about? And we did that. Uh, many of the doctors talking about that and others had hobbies, uh, you know, that, that enabled them to leave mentally. Uh, Dr. Sturry was raised on a farm, so he raised garden and had a chickens. It wasn't because they needed chickens and they needed vegetables. It's because he had to have a way to leave without leaving. Had a friend that was into ham radio, another guy that, that did stamp collecting. You've got to have these hobbies that enable you to leave without leaving. Other comments? We've got time for one or two more. Or questions? Yes? What about the openness of other countries to DOs? To what? DOs. DOs. It's usually not a problem. The British don't recognize DOs, but most of the countries, Kenya's an example, and I have a lot of experience there, uh, they don't recognize DOs, but you can go, what we had DOs come, and I just went in and met with the director of medical education, and he'd say, of course, there's in, he'd you know, give the license. Uh, you know, and uh, the, the director of medical services, not education, the director of medical services in Kenya could license anybody he wanted. He could license a dog walking down the road if he wanted to. I mean, he had that power. And so, and he knew what DOs were. So, yeah, I, and I think those barriers are really dropping most places. The only place I've really seen them is in former British colonies, and most of the time it's really easy to get around. And we had DOs at the hospital all the time. So, yes. Yeah. The, the question is language acquisition and, and the barriers. You really need to take time to learn the heart language of the people. Now, I say that, and I never did. 
Now you look at me and say, well, why not? Well, I went to language school, and, and we studied Kipsigese, and I learned pretty good medical Kipsigese. But in Kenya, you know what the national language was? English. <laughs> My kids never learned the national language because all their friends spoke to them in English. So in, in many ways, you know, it had been great if we could have, have even got more into Kipsigese, but it just didn't work for us. But in most situations, it is important to take the time to get the language and to learn it well and to master it. There's a lot more technology out there to help you and uh, you know uh, than there was when we did it. Um, and uh, I, I can't, I haven't used any of it, so I can't evaluate those resources. But I ask others that have used them and say what might be helpful. The best way to learn language is an immersion and to get down there where you have to speak the language and you're in the culture. It's not getting it out of a book or on a computer. Those can be helpful. But get out there and just make a fool of yourself day after day until you master the language. And uh, it's very important. I'll be here for questions. Uh, Thank you for coming. And uh, great resources out there. God bless you.